Hello, I'm Dara Breen, stand-up comedian, television presenter and $100 million human superweapon. I've taken time out of my busy schedule lying low in various European capital cities to come to London to meet the people responsible for creating some of the most exciting sequences in the best action movies of the last 20 years. Then I intend to fight these people at close quarters using only household objects that are lying around. Those movies are, of course, the Bourne movies and the sequences are the chase scenes. Who can forget Jason Bourne careering around Paris in a red Mini Cooper or being pursued around Moscow in a rickety yellow taxi? These sequences may only last minutes, but they're often the most memorable things in the film. I want to know how they're planned, how they're created and executed. And to do that, I spoke to screenwriter and editor Christopher Rouse, producer Frank Marshall, whose credits include Back to the Future, the Indiana Jones franchise and E.T., director Paul Greengrass, the all-important second unit director Simon Crane, stunt coordinator Gary Powell and producer Greg Goodman. I think we destroyed in the actual chase somewhere above 250 cars, I think. You know, we have to be wary of both the safety elements but also making it look that it's, you know, it's got to be fantastic. It's got to be Jason Bourne. It's like an aeroplane going down the runway. You've got to work, 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 work until the lift-off moment, and then you're into a different reality, which is your chase. Okay, so we're here with legendary Hollywood user Frank Marshall, uh, editor and writer Chris Rouse, and Paul Greengrass. We want to talk, however, about the chase. Uh, I interviewed uh, Jeremy Irons once, and he was talking about the film Damage, and Damage was this a very grown-up film, let's say, in which the sex scenes were very central to the development of the character. And he said the strange thing about it, they were very, very orchestrated, but in the script it just said, they make love. Like, that might have been said, like, it might have in a Ginger Rogers Fred Astaire if it just says, they then dance. They, uh, there is a point, however, even for something as complicated as Bourne, where the script presumably says, a chase ensues. Where, how do you go from there to what we see, to the giant operation that we see, to the giant choreographed number that we see in the film? Well, I think it's a little bit different with the Bourne films because they're very story-driven, so we need to know why our character of Bourne is doing what he's doing. So the chase scenes in all the movies have been very structured uh, about why he's getting from A to B and how and the reason. And so that really figures into the uh, action that we're creating. Action is character. That's the fundamental thing. If your action is not conveying character, if it's not telling you something about the character, non-verbally, through action, then it's just sound and fury. I'll give you for instance. I mean, if you think of in Supremacy, there's a huge set piece when Jason Bourne has discovered what he's done. He's killed two people in a hotel room and he goes to the hotel room and he looks in the mirror and he remembers seeing what he did. And at that point, the bad guys knock and it then becomes this sort of 10, 12-minute sequence which is a foot chase and a thing and then he jumps off a bridge and onto a boat and off and then he jumps across railway tracks and la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. But it ends up with Jason Bourne on a tube train in Berlin when the, he's got away from the bad guys and he's on his own. And there's this look on his face where he's changed and you know that he's going to have to do something about what he's seen. And you realise that the entire piece that you've watched... Now, this is, you know, you're not going to be thinking about this as you watch it because you're enjoying the spectacle of it. But it's conveying 
in action character beats of what you do when you feel guilt and remorse. In other words, you see what it is that makes you feel guilty and you run away. And you run 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 until you can't run away anymore. And then you have to face up to it. So there's an example of an entire action sequence. Before you get into all the pieces of action and how you're going to do this and how that and other, which has got one central character conceit. And that's what you have to try and identify. If you can identify those overall character conceit, then you've always got something to drive your action. Which is why it's so important to frame it at the outset of any action sequence. You need to know who the characters are, what their goals are, what the obstacles are in the macro aspect of the the chase itself, and and how they're going to do it. And then, you know, it's like any other aspect of storytelling. I mean, you want to understand the characters, their needs, the obstacles. And whether that's I've got to get from point A to point B at the end of the chase, or I've got to get through that intersection and there's a car blocking my way. So you need to define those specific, in very, very specific terms. But this is exposition done at speed, explaining a dynamic situation as it's happening. But again, that, that speaks to character. I think in any of the Bourne films, there's a certain, and, and again, it's, it's, it's testimony to the franchise and to, and to, and to Paul and, and to Frank and everybody that's, that's uh, and, and Matt and everybody that's imbued um, these kinds of things to the pieces, that they're existential pieces. It's about a character who's, who's breathlessly trying to find out who he is. And in that sort of breathless sense, that sort of uh, hyperkinetic way, um, you, you catch fleeting glimpses of things because he is a fractured character. I mean, he's not complete. And so it, it feels right for, for the moments to be a bit, a bit more fragmentary, a bit more fractured. And it really is a series of handoffs. I mean, when I'm standing you know, or when I'm sitting at a, staring at a blank screen, I am trying to imagine what might or might not be possible. Um, and then at the end of the day, I put down, or Paul and I put down something that could be or what we would like to be, but then we hand off to Frank and the team, and, and it develops from there. Once the screenplay is finished, due to the scale and ambition of the chase scene in Las Vegas, you need people who can bring what's on the page to the screen. The producers were Frank Marshall and Greg Goodman, and the second unit director was Simon Crane. And my name's Simon Crane. I'm a second unit director. What a second unit director really does is design the action and then implement how you're going to shoot it. I was involved on Bourne probably four to five months prior to shooting. We have lots of meetings with Paul where we have the story, you know, we're going through the script and coming up with ideas of how you can make the action unique and very Bourne-like. We did several scouts to Vegas and each time the story was slightly changing. We, We were coming up with new ideas and... It was a fun time, but frustrating time, because you'll come up with something, it doesn't really work, then it doesn't fit the story, and it was a very interesting period, and we took the locations that we found and recreated them actually in Magic Mountain, in a car park in Magic Mountain, so we could rehearse some of the ideas that we dreamt up. We built set areas, and we had numerous cars that we could test Uh, different ideas you know we have to be wary of both the safety elements but also making it look that it's you know it's got to be fantastic it's got to be Jason Bourne producer Greg Goodman we coned out and laid out the exact uh, physical dimensions of the pieces of street where we were doing our action sequences and we 
we rehearsed and prep, prepped out all of the collisions and all of the moves in that parking lot, I would say, October, November, December of the previous year before we went to Las Vegas. So what we effectively do is we rehearse all of the action in a big, wide open space where we can you know, make our mistakes in advance. And we figure all of that out and all of the rigging we figure out. And then we literally just pick all that up and drop it into Las Vegas already prepared. When you're doing rehearsals or tests, you'll normally start at a slower speed. Some can't be at a slower speed because uh, you need sort of uh, the speed to get any distance or, 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 you know, if you're going off a ramp. But we normally generally started slow um, and then built up to, you know, 60, 70 miles an hour. So by the time you get to Las Vegas, you want to make sure that as much as much of what you're doing there is execution as exploration. You do all of your exploration way in advance. So you've decided you're going to film your chase down the Las Vegas Strip. How do you go about convincing Vegas itself to shut down? Producer Greg Goodman. Our initial approach to Las Vegas, uh, my approach was to come to them and ask them to be partners with us in doing something that had never been done before. So we wanted to push the push open the the envelope or open the door to a, something that was very audacious and and never seen. And we were pretty upfront from the get-go about this is our ambition become our partners and help us figure this out because it feels like that's the best way to get what you want. Uh and they were pretty amenable. Uh there's obviously, you know, the city is set up to host visitors uh, on a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week basis. So we had to figure out a way to, to, make, to make this simple. We had to figure out a way how to get what we wanted to get done on the Strip while allowing the city to, cont- to stay open for business. We sat with the Clark County road safety and government officials and with the major casino operators in a big room and laid out a very rough idea of what a big chase down the strip would look like. Part of why you give yourselves 11 months to uh, to p- prep these things is you sometimes you know you get bad luck and sometimes you get good luck. There's a casino uh, called the Riviera, which was uh, shut down um, on one end of the strip, and it had been slated to have been torn down in October of 2015, which was uh, before we started filming. And we learned, I would say, in September that they didn't get their permit to tear it down and it wouldn't be torn down until April or May of this year. And so suddenly that that casino became available to us to crash into. We were having a very hard time finding a place to crash uh, the cars into at the end of the chase. Imagining, you know, crashing into a working casino would be very, very, very disruptive and expensive. So when the when the Riviera came to us, that was a huge win because we were having a very, very difficult time figuring that piece out. Second unit director, Simon Crane. Uh, Riviera had closed down, you know, four months, five months prior. So we had to recreate, you know, put in all the slot machines. We, put, we basically did the whole floor. We had, I think, 200 extras, uh, you know, 50 stump people and uh, a lot of things we could break. And, you know, we could basically do anything we wanted. To plough that vehicle through their main doors, down the stairs, through the casino was absolutely fantastic. If you've seen the trailer, you'll know that the Vegas chase involves a SWAT vehicle. Simon Crane. Uh, When we came up with the idea of using a SWAT vehicle, we went and looked at the city's Vegas uh, SWAT vehicle. And we took that design 
and made it into, say, a usable film vehicle in that it needed to be lighter, it needed to be more powerful, the brakes needed to be beefed up, we had hydraulic brake systems so we could slide around corners, etc., etc. But again, we had the safety in there, we're knowingly going into crash situations, so we needed to make it secure for our driver and also make it filmically possible to put cameras inside there. So we had a great team of car prep guys and special effects guys, Scott Fisher being special effects, Danny Cairo being uh, car prep, and working together, they came up with... It was extreme, It still was an extremely heavy vehicle, but it was extremely powerful. It was double turbocharged, Ujima flip, whatever, but it was uh, extremely good. We had six of them. Uh, we intended to write all six off, you know, during this chase sequence. But in fact, they all survived. They were extremely solid. And, you know, they were, I think they were ma- made of well, this very thick steel. So, I mean, the SWAT teams really should look at those vehicles because they were extremely fast. I mean, the chase took place, you know, around 50, 60 miles an hour down the strip. We had the problem when we put it through the Riviera Hotel entrance and it went down the steps. It didn't survive that too well. It had to be forklifted out. Stunt coordinator Gary Powell. It was the action was sort of say great, but it was also just what we was doing and where we was doing. You know, we was in the middle of the strip outside the Bellagio. We had control of the fountain, so on a certain queue we could turn the fountains on, cue the cars, and them sort of scenarios just don't come along in every film. So for that alone, it was it was great. But the truck alone weighed like probably four tonne something like that so at 55 mile an hour there was a lot of forward inertia and we again we played with this before so we knew what we was getting and we just set the cars out in certain patterns um we then we had the middle cars that we hit then we had other cars outside of those that the middle cars were chained to so they obviously for safety reasons didn't ping off onto the streets and stuff like that and go where they shouldn't um and pretty much action and away you go with it and you know when we was going there to do the chase it was like i just want to do something that no one else has done on the strip before and that was something they're probably they've definitely never done before and they probably won't let anyone do again so um so again it's just one of those nice things where you get to do something that's a little bit different a film of this scale requires not just a huge filming crew but its own builders. Producer Greg Goodman. We have a construction crew standing by because we had a bunch of other elements we were building. If you can imagine doing a big chase on a on a public road, anytime a car crashes into a railing or a wall of a building, that's something that we have to build ourselves and put in place. So if when we destroy something, we're destroying something fake. So you'll see, for example, a lot of things destroyed in the chase, and you would imagine those are real um, casino, hotel, city elements, they're not. They're all things that we built. The second big challenge we had, which happened when we were out on the streets, is, you know, Las Vegas is a is a party town. And you end up every night, especially the hours we were shooting, you have lots and lots of people that are pouring out of shows and casinos onto the sidewalks. And suddenly they see this big sequence being shot. So you end up having thousands and thousands of people milling around And a lot of them, especially, unfortunately, when they've had a lot to drink, don't necessarily have the best judgment. And they'll try to get out onto the street to see what's happening. So we had a tremendously large police and security presence just to keep people off the street. And I think the biggest thing we learned very early on, we had put together, I think, a, a police contingent of 130 
And I think on day two, we doubled that straight away. We were like, okay, we get it. We need more people. <laughs> now, I know what you're thinking. All this sounds fine, but we all know this is just done by computers now, isn't it? I think we destroyed in the actual chase somewhere above 250 cars, I think. What we do, depending on the car, is quite a lot of the cars you'll see in a chase that aren't destroyed are what we call stunt drivers. And they're people who are um, who come with their cars and are there in background to create kind of the sense of stuff happening. The actual cars that are hit and that are um, thrown around, quite a, quite a lot of them are put on, um, on what are called ratchets, which are like um, a cable system. And a lot of them have their engines and all the gasoline and all the fluids taken out of them so that when they crash and when they roll over, they don't become fire hazards. So quite a lot of what you'll see are fairly emptied out car shells. And that's, that's done purely for safety. Uh, and then what we'll do later on digitally is we'll erase all the cabling, which is much easier for us to do than create fake cars. I would say in this sequence, 95% of it is in camera. There's a piece of the chase, and I, won't, I, I think I, I'm safe to, say, to, to reveal this. There's a piece of the chase where uh, Matt Damon ends up going the wrong way down Las Vegas Boulevard. Uh, and we shot that with quite a few cars coming at him. But in order to be safe, we can't put in quite the number of cars we'd like. So that's an example where I think we put in three or four cars that look like they're about to hit him that really weren't there. So we do, it, it, generally speaking, on, on this kind of film, the digital solutions are very sparing. It's like, it's like putting a little extra salt on a plate of food. We do a lot of coverage. You know, for various reasons, you know, especially with Bourne, it's a fast pace, it's quick cuts. So we probably shot a hell of a lot more than was actually ended up in the movie, but it's all different angles and used for specific pieces. At the end of the day, the chase sequence is four and a half minutes. Well, we shot for 16 nights and God knows how many hours of footage that actually was. After that three-week shoot, the chase moves on to the edit. So which brings me to the rules of the chase. Are there specific rules to keep that rhythm going in terms of what you shoot, how you shoot it, how you keep it coherent? It goes to two things, I would say. First of all, editors in the US, you know, in, in, in Hollywood, are a completely different kind of creative people to what traditionally you'd associate an editor with over here. That their remit creatively is much broader. They're authorial, in a sense. Um, and so you're looking in any film to have around you and to collaborate with people who have a strong point of view and a strong sense of story in the overall architectural sense. You know, who are the characters, what are they doing, what's the drama, all of that stuff. Um, so that's one whole side of what Chris would do. In a sense, he's sitting exactly where I sit. And then the other side of it is just the sheer technique, you know, to, to, I mean, if you look at any of those action sequences, but particularly the car chases, you know, in, I, in, in, in all the films, Identity, Supremacy, Ultimatum, and this one, the editing is fundamental, the sense of pace, the attack, the accuracy. Screenwriter and editor Christopher Rouse. 
in truth, you can't cut what you don't have. And this speaks to not just action sequences, but all of Paul's material, because it is that design chaos, but is incredibly specific storytelling and incredibly truthful and incredibly characterful. And that is just imbued in every frame of film that he shoots. And it speaks to me when the dailies come in, and it becomes a very natural process for me to feel that, assimilate it, and interpret it as, as I would. But at the heart of it is something that's, that's very profound and, and very directed. Producer Frank Marshall. And I think it has to do also with the storytelling. It's, it's a case, and this is simplifying it, but it's about geography. It's about cause and effect. And it, you can't just throw a lot of stuff at the screen and have it look chaotic. But if it's not telling a story, this is the most important thing in the Bourne movies. You've got to be telling the story. What's happening? Why? There are moments, and the car chase would be one, I would say, where you, you want to explode out of your A and B side dynamic yeah. and it's just like live in it. Yeah. It's like an airplane going down the runway. You've got to work, 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 work until the liftoff moment. And then you're into a different reality, which is your chase. And are you, by the way, do you have like a particular adrenaline level that you'd like to think, keep it at or bring it to? Or I mean, tempo is a really, really important thing. All directors have a sense of tempo. It may be different, you know, but, um, but I think your sense of tempo is like conducting. The tempo they have, the inner tick that you have is very personal. One of the reasons Chris and I work so well, I think, is that we have uncannily although we'd never met each other until we worked together on Supremacy. Almost identical tick, I would say. How long could a chase sequence last before it began? That you, like, what's the natural length? Or is there, a, is there a point at which an audience can't sustain that level of bang, 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 bang? But would you ever sit in and go, no, I'm, I really, this one has gone on too long. We need to take a break. We need to bring it down. You know, again, it's the story. How many times can you see a car crash into one another? You get bored. But if something's happening, at the same time you're losing that part of the car that's eventually going to stop the car, then yeah, we can keep going. But if it's just to have a crash, it's too much. So we, you know, we just sit down and they, they put this together and then fresh eyes come in and we look and we say... It's a little long or sometimes a little short. Film space is different to reality. I read a book once, actually round about when I was doing Supremacy, I think, um, and it was Richard Williams's biography of Ayrton Senna, which is an absolutely brilliant book because it's about the craft and the philosophy of motor racing. And one of the things that he talks about in that book, which has always struck me as incredibly insightful about action filmmaking, he talks about Senna being a poet of the, of the racetrack because he had the ability, as all racing drivers have to have, but he just had it better than anybody else, to drive a vehicle at such speed to the point where it was out of control, but yet it had an, just enough adherence to be able to be in control. The, the, in that place, there's a zone where you have actually lost control, but yet you just have some different sort of control, and so the car floats, and that's the place that, that the great, great motor racing drivers can go. It's, it's like a subspace beyond physics, you know, where you're, where you're driving in a, in a place that's 
that only those guys can get to. And in its purest state, I think action filmmaking is trying to replicate and find that place where your audience give up to the experience, the, 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 the accuracy of what you're being conveyed gives you the control, but the sound and the fury of it gives you the lack of control. And somewhere you're in a place where you're absorbing pure character, pure story, pure velocity, but pure clarity as well. And when you get that, your audience loves it and they go with you. And when you get it right, you can feel it, I think. You know, that's what you're trying to get. So there we have it. 250 cars destroyed, three weeks of filming on the Vegas Strip, 45 stunt cars, six custom-built SWAT vehicles capable of going through major warfare and emerging unscathed, one destroyed casino, and one exhilarating four-minute chase. <laughs> 